0: Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence as a church family this morning. And Father, as always, we come to this point in our week not to check it off of our to-do list, but because we want to know you better. So Father, we invite the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit to be here that you would give us wisdom and that you would touch our hearts and you would take the message from your word and send it home to our hearts. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like blessings? We love blessings. Amen? We love that old hymn, There shall be showers of blessings. We like singing that song. And there's all kinds of blessings throughout the Bible that um, God invites us to be recipients of. And perhaps one of the places that you will think of when you think of blessings is probably the Sermon on the Mount. Why don't you turn there with me very quickly, Matthew chapter 5, this is not what we're going to study, but just as an introduction, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus starts off this greatest of sermons with blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And we love to revel in the blessings that we find in the Word of God, particularly here in Thoughts from uh, from the Mount of Blessings. Uh, the Beatitudes. Verse three, the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse five, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse six, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed Blessed, blessed. And of course, we know that word blessed in the Greek originally uh, actually means happy. So when we look at these blessings, we, we think, Lord, you know I want, this is a these are blessings that I want to be a, a partaker in. And as I read through the Beatitudes, as I read through these blessings, I'm tracking with Jesus all the way. I'm like, yep, that's a blessing I want. Yep, that's a blessing I want. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be uh, pure in spirit. And ma- I want all of these things. But then Jesus does something that makes me uncomfortable in the next few verses. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. He's continuing. He's like a, a, a preacher that's kind of just driving home a point here. Verse uh, 10, it says this Blessed are they which are. Er... What? Right, we're tracking with Jesus all the way through this. You know, the blessed, 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 blessed. And then it's like, uh, hang on a second here. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. It's almost like, I, I, I don't understand this. How am I supposed to rejoice? I mean, I can rejoice in all of these other blessings, but then he's like, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Blessed are ye when you are persecuted. I had yet to go to a church service during the blessing time, And hear a church member raise their hand and say, I'm thankful that I was persecuted this week, right? Usually it goes something like this. I'm thankful that we live in a country where we are not persecuted, right? That's usually the way it goes. Or maybe we put a prayer request in that, that, that God will help us as we go through our time of persecution and take it away. Could we be praying that God would take away a blessing that he wants to give to us? Hmm. Listen to this from Desire of Ages, page 306. It is fellowship with God that brings them, God's people, the world's enmity. What is it that brings the world's enmity? Fellowship with God. God, Let me ask you a question. Is it a blessing to have fellowship with God? Now listen to what she goes on to say. They are bearing the reproach of Christ. They are treading the path that has been trodden by the noblest of earth. Not with sorrow, but with rejoicing, should they meet persecution. Listen to this. E- each trial, each fiery trial is God's agent For their refining, each is fitting them for their work as co-laborers with him. Each conflict has its place in the great battle for righteousness, and each will add to the joy of their final triumph. Blessed are ye when you are persecuted for righteousness. Now, listen, we don't go around looking for, for persecution just for the sake of persecution, right? <clears throat> That's kind of sadistic, and it's not something that God asks us to do. But when God's people choose to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and stand for what's right, though the world around them may be compromising, if that brings persecution, Jesus says, you're blessed. And that was kind of hard for us to get our minds around that because we live in a society today where we naturally shun anything that is uncomfortable. We don't want to be in anybody's bad books. We don't want to suffer any physical pain. That's why pain medications are flying off of the shelf. And if you take pain medications, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. All right, we don't like to suffer. We don't like pain. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to be in people's bad books. Then we live in a society where that is considered something of value. But the Bible tells us that when we are followers of Christ, it is an uncomfortable life. Go over with me a couple of chapters, Matthew chapter 10. This Matthew Henry in his commentary on the book of Matthew He refers to Matthew chapter 10 as Jesus's ordination message for the disciples as he's sending them out, ordained as ministers. This is his sermon that he preaches to them. And you can read the whole chapter another time. I'm just going to cherry pick a few things here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. We read this in our scripture reading. Jesus is talking to his disciples of which we are. And the Bible says, behold, behold, I send you forth, As sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents, and what? In that one little phrase there, Matthew 10 and verse 16, Jesus defines the identity of his followers. He calls them what? Sheep. Behold, I send you, the disciples, forth as sheep. In that one little phrase, he also defines those for which the disciples will be working with. He calls them wolves. And then he also tells them how those wolves are, are, are to be one. And we'll talk more about that here in just a few moments. But when you send wolf, sheep in amongst wolves, is it a pretty sight, yes or no? Right. Wait, I, I probably don't really need to elaborate on this very much. It's just kind of, we know what happens when you send sheep in among wolves. And it's interesting that Jesus says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, he says uh, that he was, uh, or Isaiah talking about Jesus, that he was brought as a lamb to the, when you send in sheep among wolves, are you sending them to the slaughter, yes or no? So basically Jesus is telling us, you are going to go through the same thing that, I have gone through. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, how many of you have heard this saying that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will? How many of you heard that saying before? Do you know where that saying came from? It was Cory ten Boom who coined that term, that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That term or that little sentence came out Of great suffering. For Corey and her family, the center of God's will was to harbor over 800 Jews. For Corey and her family, the safest place to be was to follow God's leading in their life, which led them straight into a concentration camp. But unfortunately, for many of us today, the concept of the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. For many of us, we think that that means that we have all of a sudden become bulletproof. That if we stay in the center of God's will, that no harm is going to come our way. But let me tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters, physically speaking, the safest place to be is not always in the center of God's will. Spiritually, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. But if you are looking for physical protection against any pain or suffering, the center of God's will is not the place you want to be. But I tell you this morning, it is the place you want to be. Because it's in the center of God's will that we find peace in the midst of suffering. I believe that we need to reevaluate our theology of suffering and look at it from a biblical perspective. Suffering is something that Jesus warned his followers that they will go through. It wasn't a might, it wasn't a maybe, it wasn't an up in the air kind of thing. He said that suffering will come our way. What if the center of God's will for you and me is to be a sheep in the midst of wolves? Are you still willing to be in the center of God's will if that's the case? I want to be. Now, I want to tell you something this morning that, humanly speaking, that's not where you want to be. You're going to want to run away from that. The, the human tendency is, as I said, to be comfortable and to be safe. But it's only as we commit ourselves to Christ day after day that we can stay in the center of his will, even if it brings hardship our direction. I heard a story about a missionary family who wanted to go and serve among the Batak tribe in, uh, in Sumatra, in Indonesia. And they, uh, they left and they went to that tribe and it was a tribe of, uh, that was 100% Muslim. Talk about sheep in the midst of wolves, right? 100% Muslim. And they began to share with them the beauty of the gospel and what Jesus has come, uh, that he came to save us from our sins and to redeem us and to take us to all of the things, all of the elements of the gospel. And, These people, as they sat and listened to this missionary family, they decided they didn't like what they were saying. And so the leaders of that particular group, the Batak people, they captured the missionaries and killed them. And then they ate them. But that was the center of God's will for them. It wasn't necessarily physical protection, but they were doing God's bidding. Several years later, there was another missionary family that went to that same group of people. They shared the same message about the gospel and Jesus' gift of eternal salvation. And would you know, those leaders listened to that message the second time, and they thought, "Hmm, that sounds like the first time I heard. I, I remember the first group, the first missionary. It sounds like the same thing." But this time, they decided to listen, and the entire group became Christians. So both of the missionaries were in the center. God's will. In one case, God protected them. In the other case, God allowed them to die. When we go out as sheep amongst wolves, sometimes there are casualties. And we just have to leave that in the Lord's hands, whether or not I'm going to be the one that's the casualty or somebody else. Because God doesn't allow somebody to die needlessly. Amen? He either allows it to happen to benefit you or to benefit somebody else. That is, if you are staying in the center of his will. Now, lest you think it was just the disciples in the Old Testament, or New Testament, rather, that Jesus was talking here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Just jot it down in your notes. Paul talking to the young man, Timothy. He said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, remember the rest of it, shall suffer persecution. The ESV, the English Standard Version, makes it very clear. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Very clear, very clear statement. And all of us want to live godly lives. We all want to be ready when Jesus comes back to take us home. We like the concept of that we shall be like him when he appears. But there is a price tag that is connected to with that allowing God to transform our character into his character. That all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be viewed by the world as the scum of society. They will be mistreated. They will be looked down upon. They will get fired at by both sides, from the church and from the world, they will be fired at. But if they live godly lives, they have eternity to look forward to. Great Controversy, page 48, says this. Before I read it, let me ask this question. If godly people suffer persecution, why is it that there is so little persecution right now? In America. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The type of persecution that we define as persecution here in America is not biblical persecution. Those are little trials to help strengthen our spiritual muscles so that when the big trial comes, we'll be able to stand. So that's not the type of persecution that the Bible is talking about here, the little trials that we go through. So if godly people are persecuted, why is there so little persecution, at least here in North America? Great Controversy, page 48, says this. The Apostle Paul declared that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will or shall suffer persecution. Why is it then that persecution seems in a great degree to slumber? The only reason is that the church has conformed to the world's standard and therefore awakens no opposition. Ouch. I read a book one time and the author came to an accurate conclusion. He said there are two things that bring persecution. Number one, when you accept Christ and number two, when you share Christ. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? That's exactly what you see in the book of Acts. You see people who have accepted Christ into their lives. These are people who once cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They've accepted Christ in their lives, and then they were held by a holy boldness that they could do nothing but claim and preach the name of Jesus. They were filled with him, and they had to share him. And as a result of that, it brought what? Persecution. Now she goes on and she says this let there be a revival of faith and power of the early church and the spirit of persecution will be revived and the fires of persecution will be rekindled. What will bring persecution back again? When we are filled with the Holy Spirit as they were in the book of Acts. You you see this clearly illustrated, right? You look at the disciples before the book of Acts, right? During the gospel time, were they persecuted? During the life, during the three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry, were they persecuted? Not really. I mean, they were part of a ragtag group of people. You know, Jesus wasn't the most popular person uh, all the time. But largely speaking, they weren't persecuted. Why was that? Because they were busy bickering about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They were busy arguing amongst themselves. They were busy looking at themselves and measuring their stature with the stature of everybody else. And that's why they did not awake persecution. But you go to the book of Acts and you find now we see converted men who have accepted Jesus as their savior and are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they go and preach with holy boldness. And what happens as a result? Persecuted. Persecuted as a result. But they turned the world upside down in one generation without 3ABN. Without the Internet, without modern technology, without the postal system, they turned the world upside down because they could not help but preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Matthew chapter 10 And verse 16 again, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore as wise as serpents and harmless as dove. Let's just break down the passage. There's three things in the passage that we'll break down very quickly here before we close. The first thing is that Jesus sends his disciples. Behold, I send you forth, right? He's sending them. He's telling them to go. This is like, if you will, it's a preamble to the gospel commission in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. But before he said that, he told his disciples, behold, I am sending you, right? And so the disciples are going. They are going to a particular group of people. They are going for a purpose, not just to go, but because they have something to share. Now, all of the disciples had other occupations. Uh, some of them were fishermen. Some of them were, you know, uh, lawyers, tax collectors. They all had different Uh, occupations, but their primary occupation as disciples of Christ was to go, right? And so Jesus is telling his disciples before they even step out into the mission field, he's telling them where they are going. Behold, I send you forth, where? As sheep amongst Right? So before it even happens, he's telling them what's going to take place. In other words, Jesus knows ahead of time that where he is sending his disciples is going to cost some of them their lives. Right? He knows that, and he is telling them that before they go, so that when they go and they find opposition and persecution and death, they shouldn't be surprised, right? We shouldn't be surprised. We should not be surprised... When challenges, persecution, heartache, trials, all that stuff, we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. But for some of us, it's like we, we think that if we live good Christian lives, if we have our devotions every day, if we tell people about Jesus, if we do the right things, that that's going to make our lives easy. Uh, wrong answer. Right? Right? So Jesus is sending them. He's telling them, I'm sending you forth. I don't want you to stay here with me, but now, now I'm gonna send you forth. And he is sending them as sheep in the midst of wolves. The second point there, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Where Jesus is sending his disciples is a dangerous place. And he goes on and he describes this even more. Notice what the Bible says in verse 17. Uh, but beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and they will scourge you in their religious establishments, in their churches. Verse 21, and brother shall deliver up brother to death and father the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Verse 22, and they shall be hate it of all men for my sake. Verse 23, but when, notice it doesn't say if, but when they persecute you in this city, what does he say? Go someplace else. Verse verse, uh, 36, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. What a stirring message Jesus is giving to his disciples as he sends them forth, right? Doesn't that just make you want to, Go and tell people about Jesus. But this is reality that Jesus is not setting them up for failure. And sometimes I think maybe we might set ourselves up for for failure, thinking that if we do what Jesus has asked us to do and go where Jesus asks us to go, that everything is going to be okay. No, it's not. We have to stop thinking that way because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The world is in opposition to God. When we get doors slammed in our face, that shouldn't surprise us. Neither should it discourage us. When we follow up on a lead and they say, no, I'm not interested, that shouldn't surprise us and it shouldn't discourage us. That's just the way it's going to be in this world until Jesus comes to take us home. John 15 and verse 20, Jesus said, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will what? They'll persecute you as well, right? So Jesus is just saying, listen, if you you choose to follow me, that's fine. But know that there's a price tag that's associated with this. You know, as I read the Bible, especially in light of this subject, this is the conclusion that I've come to. If living a comfortable life, free from trials, free from hard times, uh, free from people looking down upon me and thinking I'm a weird person, if that's the type of life that I want to live, the message from the word of God is clear. Stay as far away from Jesus as you possibly can. That's what the Bible says. Because if you want to be close to Jesus, those who choose to do that must also be willing to suffer because of that choice. If safety is what you are looking for, then you better stay away from Jesus. But if eternal life is what you're looking for, then it's worth going through any trial here on this earth. Amen? Even if it is for 80 years, it's worth going through because of what we will receive when we get to the kingdom of heaven one day. So, number one, Jesus is sending his disciples. Number two, he is sending them to sheep, or as sheep, among wolves, he's sending them to dangerous places. But then the third point is what really got me in this study. That now Jesus says, I'm sending you forth as sheep among wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and what? Let me ask you a question. When you're a sheep among wolves, do you want to be as harmless as a dove? Is that how you want to be? How do you want to act when you're a sheep among wolves? How does the human flesh want to act? You want to act tough. You want to act like a wolf, don't you? Charles Spurgeon said this, fighting sheep are a strange animal and fighting Christians are a self-evident contradiction. Jesus says, I'm sending you forth who am I sending you to? I'm sending you to wolves, and you are sheep. And the way that you ought to act when you are sheep in the midst of wolves is as a harmless dove. I've never seen a dove with fangs on its beak. Neither have I seen a sheep attack a wolf. Can you, see, can you imagine a sheep with fangs, claws? But unfortunately, that's sometimes the picture that we get when we come to church, if we're going to be truthful. We have have people who are professing to be sheep, but they are attacking one another like wolves. That's not what Jesus wants us to do, right? And if we can't live peaceably together as sheep, how in the world are we going to live with wolves around us? Jesus didn't tell us <clears throat> that he is sending us as sheep among sheep. That's easy, right? You know, go live in Loma Linda. That's easy stuff. Go live in Collegedale, Tennessee. That's easy stuff. All the other Adventists there are there. You know, Christian Mecca, Adventist Mecca. Somebody told me that that's the most dangerous place to be, and it probably is true. But Jesus didn't say, I'm sending you as sheep among sheep. I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. And as you are there with the wolves, I want you to be as harmless as a dove. This is what Paul says. Romans chapter 12 and verse 21. He says, be not overcome of evil. You know the rest of it? But what? Overcome evil with evil. See, that's the methodology that a sheep has when it's in the midst of wolves. And listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. If you think you have patience now, get in among the wolves and see how much patience you have left. When you are suffering mistreatment, when you are being spoken against, when you are being physically mistreated, it is difficult when you are in that situation to bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things as Paul tells us we should in 1 Corinthians 13. Review on Herald, April 26th of 1892. Listen to this. If you forget everything I said, don't forget this quote. This is what it says. Jesus says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. But you need not meet the wolves in the same spirit that they possess themselves. You are to be as harmless as doves. In meeting, listen to this. In meeting those who are fierce of spirit, you must manifest meekness and love. And in manifesting, uh, in in the manifestation of this spirit, will frequently change the spirit of the wolf, and a wonderful transformation will take place. Did you catch that? Listen. In the physical world, when you are a sheep in the midst of wolves, it is a death sentence, right? That wolf is not going to change. You can't physically change a wolf into a sheep. But spiritually, it all changes. And she tells us that the way that we can transform a wolf into a sheep is by having meekness and love. Notice it doesn't say anything about doctrine. I find that very interesting. It's not doctrine that converts a wolf into a sheep. It is a Christ-like character that does that work. Are you all following me this morning? Sometimes we think that if we can just indoctrinate people, that they will change and become a sheep. No, that's not the case. What they are looking for is a true manifestation of the spirit and character of Jesus. And when they see it, a marvelous transformation, she says, will take place. See, it's, it's, it's simple stuff, right? It's not hard to understand. We don't have to come up with convoluted techniques where we're manipulating the situation and manipulating the person, and if we just dump enough proof texts on top of them, they'll change their minds. No, if we have meekness, and love, and here's the thing, brothers and sisters, this is what I've noticed. It's much easier to dump proof texts and to argue than it is to have a Christ-like spirit. And so what ends up happening is in our witnessing, we end up leaning on these techniques to do the work, to turn the arm, if you will, instead of leaning on the character of Jesus in our hearts to do that work in the lives of other people. It's easier to use those techniques than to let Jesus change your heart and allow you to be peaceable in the midst of trial and persecution. 2016, there was an unnamed ISIS fighter who always enjoyed killing Christians in particularly brutal ways. And he began having visions and dreams. And as he had these dreams. I may have told you this story once before, but it's worth repeating. A man in white came to him and said, why are you killing my people? And this dream happened many times, and as many many times as it happened, he began to get more and more uncomfortable with his acts of brutality towards Christians. Many of us here in North America, we see people who do that, and we wish that they would just God would strike them down with a lightning bolt from heaven. But you know what? Those are God's children too. and We need to check our character if that's the way that we feel towards them. Because Jesus died on a cross for their sins just as much as he died on the cross for your sins. One day this man, he was getting ready to kill another Christian. Even though he was uncomfortable with this act, he was still doing it. And there was a Christian man kneeling in front of him and before this man took the Christian's life, the Christian man handed him his Bible, and then he killed the man. But he had this Bible, the living, transformative Word of God. And he went home, and he began to read the Bible, and as he read the Bible, he fell in love with Jesus. And this ISIS soldier went in search of a missionary to disciple him and show him the way to eternal life. And I praise God that that ISIS soldier found a missionary in that country. That missionary led that soldier to Jesus. And I believe one day we will see him in the kingdom of heaven. We don't know why God allows things to happen in our lives the way they do. But can you imagine the surprise that Christian man's gonna have when he gets to heaven and he sees that man who took his life walking down the streets of gold? I can guarantee you, brothers and sisters, he won't have any remorse. In all honesty, is persecution really the worst thing that can happen to us? Is it? Is death the worst thing that can happen to you? It's not really, right? But, you know, sometimes we live as though it is the worst thing that can happen to us. Suffering for the cause of God. Sometimes we live and we talk as though it's the worst thing that could ever happen to us. Oh, poor is me. I'm suffering persecution. People don't like me. Nobody likes me. They're talking against me. My family's against me. My friends are against me. I'm losing everybody. We kind of go around like, woe is me. No! No! Not woe is you. You're a child of the king. Straighten up those shoulders. Straighten up your back. Stand a little taller. Stand a little more erect. You are a soldier of the king. You are a representative of Jesus. And no matter what the world may throw at you, if you are faithful to him and you stay in the center of his will, you will have heaven to look forward to. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Persecution is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Separation, eternal separation from God is the worst thing that can happen to us. Now, listen to me carefully. I wrote this down because I don't want to mess it up. As long as God's people keep going around in fear and trepidation about persecution, the devil will be successful in keeping the unreached unreached. Let me tell you a quick story here. There is a man by the name of John Patton. He was a Scottish minister back in the 1800s. Very successful minister. He felt a burden for the unreached people of the New Hebrides. And he had a particular burden for one island. This one island had missionaries that had gone to it 20 years before. Now, at that time, the New Hebrides and this particular island, they, they were cannibals that were on the islands, right? And when those missionaries, 20 years before, when they went to that island, shortly after stepping on the island, the local people killed them. And then they ate them. 20 years later, John Patton begins to have a burden for this people this cannibalistic people on this island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And as you can only imagine, as he shares with people the burden to go and share the gospel with these people, guess what everybody's telling him to do? Don't go. Why would you put yourself in harm's way? Why would you go someplace that is hostile to the gospel? Do we have places like that in the world today? Country of Iran, 81 million people who haven't heard the name of Jesus. Why would you go into a hostile place and put your life in jeopardy for the gospel? One dear saint repeatedly told John Patton, one of his members, the cannibals, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. To this, John Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that I can but, cannot but live, sorry, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection body, it will be as fair as yours in the likeness of our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. He went to that island and fearlessly told those islanders about Jesus. The whole island was converted to Christianity. We don't know. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. You might go as a missionary to Iran and die. You might go there and be successful. You might live your whole life. What matters if you live 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, or 80 years? Now, listen to me carefully. We don't needlessly put ourselves in harm's way. We don't bring persecution upon ourselves. But our general has said to go. And before he can come back, the gospel has to go to the world. And as long as we fear persecution, we will stay in our comfortable homes here in North America. As long as we fear persecution and physical pain, we will not advance the cause of the gospel. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, as soon as that fear is taken away, God can now unleash an army of people who can take the gospel to the far reaches of the world. I told you about John and Betty Stam once before. I want to tell you a little bit more about them in closing here. John and Betty were missionaries with the China Inland mission back in the early 1900s. Uh, Betty came from a missionary family. Her parents were missionaries to China, so she grew up in that environment and had a burden for the Chinese people. Uh, John was a uh, recent convert to foreign missions and had a tremendous burden to reach the people in China. And so they both joined with the China Inland Mission, served for many years with language acquisition and all that kind of stuff, and then finally they got married. Shortly after they got married, they got their first post as missionaries for the China Inland Mission. They were excited They had their own little city now that they were missionaries to. Shortly after they got married, they had a beautiful little baby girl, and everything seemed to be going great. Shortly after they got to their new mission post, it was a gray, dreary December morning. They they heard a knock at the door. John went over and answered the door, and it was somebody from the town telling him that the communist soldiers were just outside of the city and that it would be good for him and his family to leave. Well, he wasn't much of an alarmist because this type of stuff was happening on a regular basis in China at that time. There was a lot of political unrest. And so he went to investigate the claim to find out if it was actually true. And he found that there was conflicting reports about whether or not they were near or not. So he decided to be a good father and and to play it safe. And so he went back home to get his family to leave the city. And the communists came in shortly after that before he had a chance to go. Him and his family were hauled off to prison. And this is what John wrote to the China Inland Mission. My wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. The Lord bless and guide you. As for us, may God be glorified, whether by life, or by death. As they were leading John and Betty to the place of execution, stripped of all of their earthly possessions, their daughter was miraculously protected through all of this and grew to be an adult. You can read that story another time. But as they marched through the center, the high street of the city, Soldiers were calling people to come out to watch the execution of the missionaries. Somebody asked John, where are you going? John said, I don't know where they are going, but I'm going to heaven. I wept when I read that. Here's a man who's getting ready to lose his life. Here's a man who has dedicated his life to reach the Chinese people. Here is a man who has just launched out in his missionary career. Here is a man who just got married. Here is a man who just had his first baby daughter who is about to be killed and all he can think about is heaven. I don't know where they're going, but I'm going to heaven. Communists killed him. Think, what a shame. R.H. Glover said it this way, the very soul of missions is sacrifice. What is it? It's a soul. And nothing less and nothing else than divine love can call forth the sacrifice that is needed. The world is not looking for more theology. The world is looking for Jesus in your heart. And if you choose to do that, you will go through trial. Just know it's going to happen. We need to be praying now that the Lord will give us meekness and love when those trials come our way. Don't you want to convert wolves into sheep? Amen? I want to do that. I want to do that. And I know the Lord is about that business, but he wants to use you and me to be an active living expression of the character of Jesus as we go forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Father in heaven, it's not an easy thought to think about, but yet it came straight from the lips of our loving savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as much as we physically recoil at the idea of physically being Mistreat it. And Lord, we by no means are sadistic in wanting to bring it upon ourselves. But Lord, as you send us out as sheep in the midst of wolves, give us your divine grace to do what is inhumane. It's humanly impossible, Lord, for us to be sheep that are gentle as doves when we are in the midst of angry wolves. It's just not humanly possible. But, Lord, we understand that with you all things are possible. And so, Father, we ask that you would fill our hearts with love and meekness, that we would be able to repay evil with good, that we would keep coals of fire and that we would do it with love in our hearts. Father, help us to this end, I pray, for there's no way that we can do it on our own. Thank you, Father. Bless us now, we ask. We pray it in the merciful name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse